The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. I've had several executives come to me and say that they keep hearing about thought leadership, but have brushed it off until they find out that they've lost deals to companies that seemingly came out of nowhere and they use thought leadership. So what's the deal? And should your company use thought leadership too? To answer those questions, Peter Winnick. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Joel. So what's that, uh, what's that tagline you guys use that, uh, talks about this whole, this whole thing. It's a, it's yeah, a cool so tagline. One of them that, one of them that we've used for years is deep expertise in helping those with deep expertise. Kind of, so does, does, every, does everybody you work with have deep expertise? Um, yeah, I would say so. There, I mean, there's two distinct types of audiences that we work with or clients that we work with. One is uh, the individual thought leader. So the author, the speaker, the thought leader, et cetera, that produces great thought leadership and ultimately, that's the product, right? So they speak, they consult, they advise, et cetera. And then on the other side of the house, there are many organizations that we work with, high-tech, financial services, professional services, where they're producing thought leadership. It's not necessarily the product. It's actually typically not the product. But it shows the world who they are, what they're about, what they stand for, and that they have a stake in the ground. Because quite frankly, Joel... We're all being commoditized. I don't care if you're what business you're in, what industry you're in, whether it's product, services, whatever. We are all facing downward commoditization. And in my humble opinion, or maybe not so humble, thought leadership is a way that you can punch above your weight and you know get a bigger bang from your marketing dollar. So let's talk, let's talk about these of the two that you have. Let's talk about the one that's company driven because that's that's yep. what it is. So yep. companies are made up of dozens or hundreds or, or thousands of people. Uh, how do they figure out, uh, you know, which person to put up front? You know, how's that whole decision process? Yeah, made? so it's not it's not personality driven. So in many instances, it has been, and I don't I don't believe in this approach. Oh, you know, hey, Joel's pretty outgoing, or Joel like you know Joel's really good on stage. You know, like there's one attribute that an individual has. So let's pour the resources on him and make Joel the spokesperson or the rock star or the whatever. That's not the way that we think about it. The way we think about it is backwards, meaning, okay, let's get really tight on who the avatars are that we're trying to connect with and influence, right? Who matters most to us as a company? Is it our direct end users, our reseller channels, whatever? Is it, you know, who matters most? And then you work backwards and figure out 
what are the pain points that they have and how does our product offering solution, whatever, solve that? And that becomes the basis for the thought leadership. That's the why. The who comes later, right? There could be multiple who's. It might be the founder. It might be the CEO. It might be multiple technology people, but you have to figure out based on who we are as a company. So if we're a company that produces software for the nonprofit community to run their operations more effectively, that leans itself into a lot of thought leadership to say, hey, here's the way the best in class are using it at the Fortune 1000 level to run their operations effectively. What we know is nonprofits tend to be more heart-driven, more passion-driven, more mission-driven, and less efficient-driven. Our software does A, B, and C, right, as an example. You know, uh, are we talking about like um, having somebody be like the face of the company? Is that is that what you're talking about as thought leadership? Because I remember in the 80s, uh, Lee Iacocca was the first executive that at least I Rockstar remember. Rockstar CEO. Yeah. yeah. Right. But but that, that wasn't really thought leadership. That was just him being kind of the face of the company. And these are different things. So let's differentiate. Yeah. So being, being the face of the company is, is the old, I always think of the Victor Kayam commercial with the Remington Shaver. You know, I loved it so much. I bought the company. Remember that guy? Like that yeah. was a great story or, or uh, Cy Sperling, the hair club for men, you know, <laughs> like, like, okay, be the face of the company. And there's a place to be the face for the company. I think that thought leadership is typically bigger than one individual. There are exceptions to that. There are some instances where a, the company has been built around the intellectual property, the thinkings, the writings, et cetera, of an individual. But to do it efficiently at the organizational level, you need to institutionalize the thought leadership. Because let's face it, things happen to people. Like they get hit by buses, like they die, like they get caught doing stupid things, right? So I wouldn't want to invest all of my assets and resources from a thought leadership perspective into an individual, you know, with an asterisk there are occasions to make exceptions to that rule, but it's not, it's not the same as a spokesperson. So for example, you know, right now we're living in this weird period of time. Everybody's talking about the great resignation. What does hybrid work look like? How do I maintain my organizational uh, culture in a hybrid work environment? Well, if I'm Deloitte human capital, you bet I'm putting stuff out there talking about that. Right. That's thought leadership. And who puts it out? There might be a couple of rock stars in that practice. They're putting it out. But there's not one individual that's the only one at you know, Deloitte Human Capital, as an example, that talks to that. So so what we're talking about is putting ideas into the marketplace. In other words, if you're an expert in this topic, uh, put out white papers, put out videos, put out podcasts, put out whatever it is. Is that is that really the main thing that yeah, it's, it's getting doing? it's getting the ideas out to the right people at the right time to a build your brand right. So that's a good thing. If it's if if you know many of us could sit around and go, oh, I'm not as big as I don't have the resources that you know my competitors do. You know, I haven't been in business as long as. Well, that's lovely. But are you as smart as them? Or are you smarter than them? Then punch above your weight and you know, show me the money, put the thought leadership out there. That's on the brand side. I tend to like it. I like it on the brand side, but I think we're really, really um, stands out as an effective tactic, if you will, is on the net new client acquisition side. We're all looking for new clients, particularly in high tech financial services and professional services. If I can utilize thought leadership to accelerate the sales process or to gain net new clients, that's a win. That's a big win. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of corporate people probably don't have uh, perfect skills in terms of harnessing the uh, the distribution capabilities of the Internet. But yep. if you write uh, either you write 
you podcast, you video, whatever it is that you put together, uh, the internet is such a powerful place for people that have little or no budget to compete with uh, with the biggest brands. And in fact, one of the things that uh, was said that I remember being said is that uh, you can have a couple of people working out of a garage and they can have a website that makes them look like a Fortune 500 company. And that's uh, a little bit of a Absolutely. dangerous thing, but but that's the reality of it. Well, and I think for most of us, particularly on the B2B size, where, where we're talking about organizational thought leadership, this isn't about getting on the Today Show. And I think the mistake that most people make is that they take sort of B2C tactics and apply it B2B, right? So the reality is for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, there's 200 people, 500 people that if you could influence, connect, engage with them, it could blow up your business 10x. So why are we thinking about mass marketing approach? Why are we thinking about, you know, Super Bowl ads are great if you're Doritos, you're not Doritos. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the biggest mistake people make with podcasts. Well, like do you have millions of listeners. Somehow people, the question. people think totally about the wrong this. question. Like, like it's the radio. It's not the radio. The goal is to influence a specific audience of people with a specific message to get a specific outcome. And if you can do those couple things, uh, you are going to roll better than, uh, than 99%. No, and I, else. I totally agree with that. And people get infatuated or maybe it's the dopamine or who the hell can know what it is. How many likes, how many tweets, how many relikes, how many... Who cares? Because I'm not smart enough to know how to take that to the bank and deposit those. I know how to deposit contracts. I know how to deposit signed deals. I know how to deposit dollars, right? So we get enamored with some of the social media, you know, metrics that are faux metrics. The metrics that matter in thought leadership are the metrics that matter to your business, period, you know, full stop. I, I think what you're talking about is um, the currency, unlike a contract currency is cash, the currency of a lot of social media is ego and, yeah. and people get, uh, they, they kind of get derailed uh, because they're thinking about the wrong thing. They're thinking about the volume of people. They're thinking about the, uh, you know, I mean, listen, if there are 2.7 million podcasts, there aren't very many that are going to get a million people. <laughs> Just, you know, nor do they need to. Nor and do I they think sometimes, to, right. I think people sometimes confuse, depending on the business that you're in, the user from the buyer, right? So they focus too much on who might the user of your product offering and solution be, right? If you're in technology versus, yeah, those folks are important. They're not unimportant, but who's the buyer? And how do you focus 80, 90% of your thought leadership investment, your marketing dollars against the pain points of the buyer? Not that we don't care about the user, but they're at some level a hostage, right? If my company says we use this piece of technology or we use Salesforce, guess what? That's what we use. Right. The other beauty of all the technology that we have nowadays is the ability to segment and we can segment, you know, to to the nth degree where, you know, you, you don't just get all people or all people who like cars or all people sure. who like sports cars. I mean, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. into anything that you want. And, and that's why, you know, you can eventually get to a place where there's 2000 people in the universe of that, that you're looking for, or 500 people, or yeah. even a hundred people. I mean, whatever the universe is that matters to you, it's possible to do that. So how do companies um, think about initiating a thought leadership program? What, what does that look like? So usually it is done non-strategically. It's a tactic. And that doesn't work. Usually it's, oh, A leads to B leads to C. It's serendipity. It's random. Oh, 
Joel got invited to speak at this thing. And that led to a bunch of clients like, you know, Marie, you know, we've got this wacky guy that likes to podcast and that works. So it's sort of the wild west. Um, I think the way it should be done, which might be a little bit of a different question is, okay, we spend a lot of time, particularly this time of year, thinking about our strategies, our planning, our marketing budget, our initiatives. Great. Thought leadership is no different, right? It's not this other thing. It, need, it needs to be a vehicle to support the business strategy, the customer acquisition strategy, the marketing strategy, the product launch. When and where does it fit into those things? And how do you align it and morph it to support that? So that's so the you're way not, I would so you're be not, thinking about it. Yeah, you're not talking about it being a standalone thing. You're talking about being integrated into a lot of other things that you do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a standalone thing in terms of ownership and responsibility and budget and function, et cetera. It is not a standalone thing when we go about articulating, well, what's the ultimate objective here? What are we trying to achieve? We're trying to influence someone. Why are we trying to influence someone? So they're more aware of our product. But why do we care about that? So that we're in the running when we're in a, a, a bake-off, so that we have more RFPs, so we have more prospects. So ultimately, that we make more money, shorten the sales cycle, penetrate our corporate you know, accounts faster. I mean, it's no different than any other vehicle that we're using to grow or gain a foothold in the marketplace. You know, um, one of the things about thought leadership, it's, uh, it's somewhat personal. It's, it's kind of hard to do thought leadership in a certain way. So like, like an advertisement, you hire an agency, they, they produce the commercial, they write it, they, they conceptualize sure. it, whatever the thing is. Thought leadership, you can't really sum that out the same way. I mean, somebody that's internal that is an expert has to kind of drive that initiative. And that's sort of different than some other kinds of uh, marketing projects. Yeah, I would say yes. And so the, the internal capabilities, the thoughtfulness, which is different than agency work. Agency work is about the prettiness or the slickness or the ability to tell the story the right way. And that's fine to outsource that because it's probably not most people's core capabilities. Outsourcing the thought in the thought leadership, you know, not a good idea. You can get lots of help on the placement or the curation or the development of, of certain assets if you're not a video expert or whatever. But what is it that your organization stands for? What is the underlying thinking? What are the mindsets? What is this about? Um, it's core, you know, and there's thought leadership that used for that is used for internal purposes as well, Joel. It's not only client facing. If we're, you know, if you're in a tight labor market like we are right now and fighting the great resignation, how do you use thought leadership to, to recruit and onboard and retain employees? Right? That's a business problem we have. Can we use thought leadership for that? Why this is a great place to work, right? Yeah, I think we could. Who should do that? A third party agency? No, probably our CEO, our founder, our CHRO, people that work here, people that have been here a short time, a long time, people that sort of look and act like me that are considering working here. That's an example of developing and deploying thought leadership to knock out a business objective. You know, is, is this the kind of thing that um, that a bunch of people sit around the room and, and, and a writer, uh, you know, sits and, and asks some questions and gathers the stuff? I mean, how, how do companies go about, I mean, I know how I do it. And I produce a lot of content. I'm sure you produce a lot of content. Sure. How do companies that are not used to doing this sort of thing, how do they go about getting started? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, there's not a one size fits all. Um, number one, you have to start with developing the strategies I mentioned, period. You're moving into, well, where do we start on the implementation side? And you bring up a couple of good points. <clears throat> there are people in your organization that are really good at fill in the blank, speaking, writing, video, et cetera. There are people that aren't. Sometimes we need to look at the people that aren't 
you know, and this happens a lot in technology companies, software companies, et cetera, where someone's got that domain expertise. Maybe English isn't a primary language. Maybe their writing skills aren't that great, whatever. Can you help them develop those capabilities or get them the support that they need? So maybe it is done in interview style. Maybe, you know, we develop those skills. There's a wide continuum or spectrum of ways that we can solve that problem. Because if we only let the folks that have the gift of communication sort of be the ones developing the thought leadership, it's not as rich as it could be. Well, you know, to, to me, it doesn't, you know, if somebody's not a great speaker, they're not a great writer, uh, I, I might not invest a lot in helping them become great at things that they're not great at, but that doesn't mean that they don't have great ideas to contribute that get put into the pool that somebody else communicates. Either somebody else writes the exactly. story or somebody else is the actor that tells the story. I mean, there's a lot of people it takes to make a movie, right? I mean, and, and that's kind of no, what and, and that's exactly it. Or it could be with a little bit of coaching and help, someone could develop that capability. They've just never done. Listen, if I'm a techie and a world-class programmer, I've probably never done video-based training or video-based, you know, presentations. Can I do it? We don't know. Is it worth trying? Sure it is. You know, and if you know, the answer is no, and, I agree with you. Sometimes, sometimes what people don't realize is that, uh, you know, being too smooth is not that great. You know, sometimes being a little quirky, a little bit awkward, is kind of endearing in a funny way. People kind of feel yeah. sorry for you a little bit and they kind of like you more right up front because they're not intimidated by you, you know? Well, it's, it's the relatability. It's the authenticity. If you take someone with a you know, stereotypical, outgoing, charismatic sales personality and put them in front of a group of introverted, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, engineers or something, there's a little bit of a disconnect. If you put somebody in front of the engineers that kind of is like them, that, that's more relatable, whatever that means, and and maybe the, the, the pitch isn't perfect or they're not as poised as others might be, I think you do win some points on, on the relatability and the authenticity side of that. Job. Yeah, I, I think so too. So in terms of medium, you know, I mean, companies can put their message out in many, many ways. I mean, the, the three that come to mind for me, and I, I liked maybe there's more is uh, white paper, uh, you know, and these are things that I do. I mean, I, I like these, I like white paper, I like podcasts and I like video output, but maybe there are more. I, I can't really well, think. And I would that. say it doesn't matter what you like, Joel, it's irrelevant. Right. So what matters is, are the people you're trying to reach is their preference to consume content in the form of white paper, you know, podcast and video. I would say white paper at the macro less and less. I mean, this is just depressing. Less and less people are actually reading. So the, so the point is to really do your homework and say, this is the way my folks consume content. Now, you might have an audience that's more technical, more scientific, more academic, that's looking for a paper with footnotes and all that other stuff. You might be selling to Gen Z and you need two minute short form videos. You might be. So one is, you know, I always tell folks, get over yourself. It has nothing to do with what you prefer. It's all about the audience. It's all about what they want. Now, if you can't meet them where they are, then you have to figure out workarounds. So I'm not, uh, I, have, I have no creative skills when it comes to visual and, and infographic. I know people need that. So I can come up with concepts and ideas that would play nicely in an infographic. If I tried to do it, you know, it would look like a, you know, a serial killer with a magic marker it wouldn't work well. So I need to get help in that area to do it. So the, uh, so the answer is really, um, I, I get that. It's looking at it backwards that it's, you know, it's, it's what the customer wants. It's not what I want. It's, I, you know, yeah. clearly I feel comfortable with a certain thing, but I totally get what you're saying that you have to give the people what it is uh, that they want. And, and it depends on the kind of uh, customer it is, depends on the age of the customer, depends on who you're targeting, the whole thing. Um, but 
most of these things could probably be put out in multiple different ways. I mean, if yes. a, a white paper can be adapted into a video, yeah, can so be adapted we, into a podcast. Yeah. So we, we look at that, we call that repurposing, right? So anything that you produce is an asset. And this is where people don't use sort of their, their business, you know, efficiency skills as much, right? So if I were to produce an asset, for my, my entity, I want to make sure that asset is giving us a, a, an ROI, giving us a dividend. So if you're creating, for example, a podcast, that's one modality. Well, you can get a transcript of that, polish it up and turn it into a blog. You can take short form clips of that and turn that into short form video. So you could repurpose and re-slice and re-dice the same piece across multiple formats and multiple modalities to, to actually just reduce your cost of production, reduce, you know, reduce your investment to get it out there. Yeah. This whole thing is, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I imagine though for a lot of companies who've never done anything like this before, they probably need, uh, some guidance. I mean, it just, yes. the idea of just sitting at a table and say, okay, today we're going to start this new project called thought leadership and we're going to start doing it. And we're going to compete at the highest level with people who've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I, I imagine that that is probably a daunting task. I mean, I, I've been doing it for a long time and I, you do it. Everybody that I yep. know kind of does this sort of thing, but how do companies, that have never done it. How do they step into the ring and and fight it at a good level without uh, you know you know, without starting in kindergarten? They want to kind of start right in high school or move right into college. Well, I'll, I'll tell you multiple ways that they do it that that don't work. Right. <laughs> so the way they do it is they they throw out a lot of tactics that are in in dire need of a strategy to connect them. So someone somewhere in the organization becomes an Instagram genius, and now they're Instagram experts. Someone somewhere in the organization, you know. Uh, uh, likes to edit video. So they produce video. So, you know, Clubhouse comes out. So someone in the firm, you know, moderates a room in Clubhouse. Well, that is reactive and tactical. You know, you don't grow your business and you don't beat the market and you don't win in, in the universe of business by being only reactive and tactical. You have to be thoughtful and deliberate and say, okay, what are the resources we're going to all allocate to this? What are the, what are the KPIs that we're going to use to measure success? Who's committed to it, right? If it's not part of someone's job description, guess what? It doesn't get owned and it doesn't get managed and it, and it doesn't happen. So I think you need to have ownership of it. I think you need to hold, treat it as seriously as you would a marketing campaign. Like you wouldn't treat your marketing budget the way that you just described. Like, how do we get started? Like, well, you get started saying, okay, we've got a million dollars to invest this year to market our expectation is we're going to get this many new clients grow more. Like what are the business outcomes we'd like to get from that investment? No different here. You know, it, it's sort of what, what I hear you describing is kind of the right hand and the left hand don't know what each other's doing. Uh, I mean, that that's, mm -hmm. that's part of what it is. But the other thing that I worry about is that, you know, uniformity of message that the message uh, that they put out on Instagram is similar to the one they put out on clubhouse or wherever, wherever they're putting their messages uh, and also that it's consistent with the uh, marketing messages that go out in mass media, whatever, sure. <clears throat> whatever situations those are. So <clears throat> do they, does a company have to assign somebody to be responsible for all forms of the initiative across all channels everywhere? Well, it depends on the size of the organization, right? So <clears throat> ideally either there's some good systems and processes in place. So for example, you know, I've never seen a Pepsi logo in purple. It's blue and red. Nor right? will you ever. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. So there's lots of systems and processes. I doubt it. I mean, ultimately, there's probably a CMO. You could say is one person that owns that. But 
there's things that people know, right? So how do you institutionalize and put systems and processes around things like style? Like, you know, when you're getting into thought leadership, you might encourage a subset of your, your, your uh, team to start going out on podcasts. Well, when you put your name on a podcast, it's a de facto endorsement, right? So if, if you're serving a certain market and you would never use foul language or, or you know, their sponsor is a cannabis ad or whatever it is, and I'm not passing judgment on any of those things, if you don't want to be associated with that, do your homework as well, right? About who you're associated with. And yeah. I think that's where, where people get not, not, not lazy, but not as stringent as they would be. You know, you wouldn't see a PepsiCo ad on, uh, on, on a porn site, right? There's a reason for that, right? You know, so when you look at where you're putting your work, not only does it need to be in, you know, in, in modalities and formats where your audience is going to be, but what does it say to your brand to be associated with that? And, and there's, and I'm speaking in the negative, but in the positive, it's like, wait, what are the other guests that have been on this podcast? Pretty cool to see my name up in lights with those folks. Like that would be pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What, um, you know, um, one of the things that, um, that, that, that I imagine companies that are kind of just getting rolling in this whole area, you know, would kind of wonder is, you know, how does this apply to me? How does it apply to our industry? Let's say somebody's in manufacturing. I mean, I've recently been speaking to some manufacturing organizations and, you know, unlike technology, which is kind of sexy and exciting and they're doing breakthroughs all the time, manufacturing uh, maybe seems uh, kind of more dry and doesn't, uh, you know, maybe be, make as much progress. How, how do, how do companies in, in industries that are kind of older, uh, you know, demonstrate thought leadership. Have you seen anything interesting to yeah, share? So it's, it's, it plays best in things like high tech, financial services, professional services, et cetera. It plays least best in things like old school, traditional manufacturing, but there's some caveats there. So for example, up until the last year, year and a half, everyday folks are not talking about supply chain issues because we didn't care. You go to the store and you get your toilet paper and you buy your toilet paper, right? Supply chain's a big deal now. So now there might be B2B2B companies deep in the supply chain that need to put thought leadership out there to say, hey, we produce domestically, not in China. And here's the benefit to you, Mr. or Miss Customer. You're not going to have the, you know, the Christmas gift that you wanted to give little Billy in a couple of weeks sitting in a port in Newport. We produce in, in you know, Wisconsin and we can get it out there. So there are ways that it can work. Uh, and, the, and, you know, and I would say, don't force it. If there's a story to be no, told, you know, I, I, also, leadership. I also, you know, uh, when I talk to these, uh, these people, I think a lot of them take for granted that they, uh, they pioneer a lot of cool things. I mean, it may not, they may not be inventing iPhones, but <clears throat> they're pioneering processes, uh, efficiencies, uh, you know, ways to, or, you know, take cost out of, uh, out of some kind of a system. I mean, you know, and so to the extent that it's not confidential, they want to put it out into the world if they if they sell whatever whatever it is and other people can buy from them. Uh, a lot of these people, <clears throat> I think one of the things some of these companies do wrong is that they take for granted uh, their own capabilities. Well, even if you look at the totally commoditized things like like um, appliance repair for a consumer, if we were to go to YouTube right now. And we each type in a dish model, dishwasher model number of a dishwasher we own and say, you know, door stuck, something like that. I guarantee you, we, you and I, because we're in different geographies, we'll get different, different videos. I get one from a, a smart local uh, uh, service provider that's producing DIY videos. That's thought leadership, right? Now, why is he doing it? 
right? He's doing it to get his name in front of me at a point in time when I have a pain point. Maybe he's going to help me fix it myself. That would be lovely. But at least I remember, you know, John and Jean's, you know, uh, kitchen appliance company for when it's broken or if I can't fix it myself, I'm going to call him because I just spent 10 minutes with him in my brain, right? So that's an excellent example. So, uh, so some service person, uh, you know, wants to secure your business. They put ideas into the marketplace. They show you how to fix it, which you probably can't do anyway, because you've probably got as many right. things as I do. And <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, and, and so uh, you, you bring that person in and uh, the same exact principle applies to companies as well. It, it just, it's uh, this is such an important component uh, but this didn't exist 20 years ago. I mean, the idea of thought leadership, it, it's kind of evolved over the last 20 years. I mean, and maybe it's because well, it wasn't it existed, possible. I would say 20 years ago, it existed probably more exclusively in the big consulting firms, the McKinsey's of the world. It was very up there, right? Like very, very high level, et cetera. I think we're living in an era of the democratization of thought leadership in more organizations because it's more cost-effective to develop it. It's more reachable. There's more people online. We're living in an age of information overload, et cetera. So I just think that the, the reach and the barriers have been brought down. You know, what's interesting is that uh, just like shows like American Idol, you know, found uh, just young American people uh, or whoever they were, and they just plucked them out and put them on stage and America loved them and they became stars. Uh, that's true about thought leadership too. Everybody's smart. Everybody's got ideas. Everybody's thinking about stuff, but very few people have in the past had the ability to tell their story. Very few people have had the ability to share what it is they know. And uh, the democratization part is the internet's made distribution of that content pretty, uh, pretty accessible. And that's, that's kind of, yeah, a cool I think thing. it used to be, I mean, this was, you were making this point earlier on marketing. If you didn't have the big bucks for, you know, to get on network television, and advertise or big billboard spends or whatever, um, you're out of the game. And you mentioned the short markets before. I mean, apply that to, to the internet and search and wherever, and you could find the, the folks that you need really cost effectively. Because for most of us, even if we had the budgets for those things, it, it's not particularly effective, right? Well, listen, B, B2B advertising, which is what, what most of us do, uh, you know, and, and, and probably many of the companies that listen to our podcast are probably B2B anyway. That's uh, just in general. But uh, most of these kinds of companies, uh, they don't need giant ads because they, they're not running ads on, on, on the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, it just wouldn't do them any good. I mean, if I had the money, I w- it wouldn't do me any good anyway. I mean, because sure. 99% of the people don't have any idea what the hell I'm even talking about, right? I mean, it, it just doesn't add up. So. You know, uh, this this has been a pretty cool discussion. I mean, I, I think that cool. uh, your ideas are awesome. And the, the, the theme of this show is the inside track, the best, smartest and fastest way to get something done. And, and you certainly have delivered on the promise. And that makes you an advantage player. And, and I appreciate, uh, you know, you bringing, uh, you know, some concepts of advantage play to the table for us. And, uh, you know, and hope that people will uh, take advantage of what it is that, you know, because you have deep expertise in helping people with deep expertise. And I, I just have always thought that was so smart. So, uh, your contact info is in the show notes and we'll make sure that uh, people can reach out to you if they need to. Great. Thanks so much for having me on today, Joel. Hey man, you were awesome. You've been listening to profit from the inside with Joel block for more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. 
Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.